Welcome to the Streets and People podcast presented by Get Around Cabo Car Free. Get Around Cabo Car Free is a volunteer community movement advocating for more transport options for people who can't drive in Caboolture and Morayfield in Queensland. In today's podcast, we'll be covering one of these three broad topics. It might be Road Rules 360, where we discuss Queensland's road rules, the legislation, the design for people walking, biking, in wheelchairs or on a scooter. It might be Not Everyone Drives, where we chat with people whose transport options don't include a car in a car-dependent society. And it might be People and Projects, where our conversations are with people working on a specific aspect of inclusive transportation. Before we go on, I just wanted to give you a heads up. There is a trigger warning on this a little bit further into the episode. We talk about car crashes and collisions. It's not particularly graphic in what we describe, but it is quite blunt. I will give you a trigger warning at the time. So if that's a sensitive topic for you and you're driving and you're unsure about whether you'll be able to stop to skip over that section, by all means, choose to listen to this at another time. If you feel triggered at any point, please take care. Lifeline's number is 13 11 14. Mental health is something we think is very important. So do take care of your own well-being. It's only something I touch on very briefly, but it is quite blunt and it can be quite abrupt. But it's very quick, nothing too graphic. All right, enjoy the episode. So today we are doing one of our Not Everyone Drives episodes. I think this might be episode number three in that series. And today I have my very excellent friend Millie who is here. She's going to talk about her experience just temporarily not being able to drive at a certain period last year. Before we do that, would like to just acknowledge that we are on the lands of the Gubby Gubby people and we respect the elders past, present and emerging. And so I'm super excited to have my very excellent friend here to talk with about your experience not having transport. So the way that came about, you had a license your whole life yeah as soon as you could kind of my birthday my 17th year you've always been able to drive you haven't always had a car but you've always been able to drive suddenly you found yourself there was some mental health issues a relationship breakdown you lost access to your kids for Mm. a a good wee while six months or seven months or something maybe even a bit longer maybe I didn't see them for 72 days 72 days so if anybody knows anybody knows what that is in months and weeks Mm. then but that says to you that sort of the angst that arises if someone's going that's 72 days that says that's a lot of angst Mm. during that time Mm. so it was a very painful period you were living in Belmere at the time which is in Caboolture I don't know you're about five minutes drive from my place and I just actually looked on the social disadvantage scores this morning for something else and I see that it's just slightly ahead of Caboolture in terms of social advantage Mm. but only by about three points which is not very good so it's not a wealthy area it's Mm. quite a farming area that was sort of quite a lot of farms I think so even at that time you used to go everywhere by car when you were there you did have a bicycle Mm. which you love Mm. and then you had this breakdown and you were living in Joiner yes And so tell me a little bit what Joiner is like or perhaps where you were living because I don't know Joiner very well. So the area I was living, to me it seemed like a pretty fancy area. The one thing I could see was that everyone drove a car. The roads were always busy, it doesn't matter what time of day it was. I rarely saw anyone on any other mode of transport other than 
driving their car. It's not a very accessible area because it's quite hilly, winding roads and sort of out of the city a little bit. So people were commuting either to the city or maybe closer suburbs, but everyone drove and I didn't drive. And I think that's probably what I realized the most, yeah. And so the street outside where you live, yep. that was a suburban street? Suburban, yeah, all suburban. So some footpaths, but yep. generally just sort of gravel side of the road. There were some bike lanes um, that would start and stop and start and stop and doesn't matter which way I went or which road I chose there was never a a way that it was consistent so I couldn't trust that one way would be all bike paths or all pedestrian paths there were yeah and you know and then it was bin day or something like that and trying to drive down the road or ride down the road on bin days is ridiculous and so just tell me with those bike paths when you say it's a bike path do you mean it's a green strip of paint of course yeah that's yeah. what i mean so there's no yeah. protection on that no not at all but but it is uh, a smooth like tarmac surface yes and it's painted green yep. and it's got bicycle pictures on it yes it does and it's got a white line yep and did you find that people parked in those it doesn't sound like they're uh, networked so mm. they're not they don't join up from one to the next they don't even maybe join up between one part and then you have blank road and then arrive at another part what was intersections like for instance so you might come up to an intersection and you might need to turn right you had a regular commitment in at Petrie yes so Petrie is about how many minutes away by bicycle so by bicycle it was 15 minutes there is a bike path which is also for people walking and walking their dogs through through the sort of bush land there okay the problem I had with that is that bicycle paths shared with walking paths and they were really windy often you wouldn't see a person until you'd rounded the corner so I found it like that I had to ride really slowly and because I didn't want to take out any pedestrians so there was a bike path and that took me pretty much straight up to the place in Petrie where I had a commitment every day yeah but from there to get for instance to the bus stop you have to or the train station you have to cross the main roads there are places where it's just the sidewalk there's no little incline so you can actually get onto the footpath you know what I mean when you say the sidewalk and the footpath so if you use those as different terms and I just want okay. to understand there wasn't you... like a ugh, I can't think of the word just like an entry point onto the like, footpath it was oh, just curb oh it was a straight curb okay yeah. so you didn't have a ramp no. to go from one so if you had a pram or a bicycle or in a wheelchair you would not be able to mount it you would not be able to yeah. access that point and it wasn't just occasionally it was often so if I didn't use the bicycle slash people and dogs path yeah. and was just to try to access this particular place or access the train station by bike on the footpath or on the road it was not flowing at all it was always stop and start depending on whether there was a curb in front of you or whether there was a random driveway or something like that yeah Yeah. on the shared path that was quite windy Mm. were there any places that would have been good to have maybe some convex mirrors would that have been a good solution to be able to see around that I think so because not everyone is just going to go slowly like I was and it's very yeah very curvy and they also have like broad walks and the surface changes so much because it's quite in the bush as well there's often bits of trees and leaves and all that sort of stuff debris I suppose on the path so it was 
a tricky path to navigate and not one that I would suggest you use unless you had no other option, which I didn't. So I, I did a walking audit actually with council last year. I was lucky enough to be invited along. It was very interesting because I was talking with these guys. You know, these are the guys who are designing our spaces. And mm. I was the only woman in a group of a whole lot of men. We actually divided so into two different groups to look at two different areas. And mm. there was one other woman showing all the other Mm. men on the other side Mm. and as I was walking along I said this is really scary for women because anybody can leap out at any moment Mm. so from a personal safety perspective Mm. so having the convex mirrors helps Mm. to be able to go well is there you know a scary a boogeyman behind that thing is that something that you found on that path were there times when your personal safety felt... I was quite an anxious and I'm still quite an anxious person, but I was super anxious and paranoid at the time. So I'd never ride my bike unless it was bright daylight. I think if someone needed to access that path after the day was finished, I don't think they would do it. Like it's just not sa- it doesn't feel safe. It yeah. wasn't properly lit. It yeah. definitely wasn't designated for nighttime at all. Yeah. But then again, yeah, even during the day, there are points of the path where you feel like you could just be completely alone and no one would hear you scream if anything wants to happen. Yeah, I was actually speaking with somebody at council Mm. recently and she said she wants to get a more of a pink lens Mm. on transport Mm. because there's been a lot of blue lens so that's basically looking at it from women's perspective as opposed to from men's perspectives and I think there has been a lot like our roads and the bike paths, Mm. all these are sort of quite masculine. It's designed for male spaces. It's Mm. not very female friendly, I Mm. often find. Is that what you would also find? I agree, I agree. In general, I feel like if anyone who had any say in designing bike paths or bike lanes or anything, if any of them actually um, were required to not use a car for probably more than a couple of days, they would make major changes because it's not their problem when they drive but when it's, it becomes a problem when you don't. It can flip your life because it means that the things you could access, the services you could access, the places you could go is just severely limited. So you're cut off basically from a lot of services. So. I have this idea that what every traffic engineer and every road designer and street designer should do is actually spend a week in a wheelchair going yeah. around everywhere. They still work, they still yep. come to work. Yep. So there's no problem there. So they ride a bike one day, get a wheelchair, come in with a pram, yep. deal with all these things yep. and just spend a whole week. That's their transport mode for the week, yep. the first week then they arrive. And if they can't do that, then this is the problem. problem. And, and I yep. think when you're in that space, you go, ah, now I get it. Yeah. yeah, you have to be in it to understand. And I think if that was to happen, they would all be late to work every single day day yeah they wouldn't get home at a reasonable hour yeah people don't seem to understand how long it takes to get somewhere if you don't have a car as an option even something like going to work or being somewhere at a specific time takes a lot of planning and takes a lot of going back and forth between should I take the bus should I take the train can I get my bike on the bus no okay well I'll leave the bike at the station then it might get stolen yeah so you had your bike stolen at one point that was your only sense of freedom it was really something you had a lot of emotional attachment psychological you were in this hugely disorientating disorientated space Mm. psychologically speaking it was like your one thing that made you feel like you were you at that time yeah it was a kick in the guts 
yeah, it really was. And I still miss that bike because it was a little part of my freedom. But the emotions of it aside, in a practical sense, it was literally my last little bit of accessing transport that had just been taken by someone who obviously needed it more than I did. But that was severely limiting. And then I realised just how how easily life can change when you think okay well I've, I've got a bike I still have that freedom I can still get to the train station well now I have to walk for an hour to get to the train station yeah. so somebody who worked in homelessness she said the difference between being homeless rough sleeper and not is who you know so you were lucky because you had a friend that you could stay with who offered to put you up for six months or mm. something like yeah, that yeah it was more than six months it was more yeah. than six months I was, very, I was really lucky and then you stayed here for a while as yeah. well yeah. yeah I guess you were used to nipping here nipping there in yeah. a car because when you're in this sort of area mm. generally speaking everything's about five ten minutes away so when you're not able to drive everywhere mm. what did you find so I had somebody yesterday on the show. She said she felt less than human. Hmm. It's really degrading. Degrading. It's really degrading, yeah. Yeah, this sense of your whole sense of agency to be able to get it. And you're going through a lot with mm. a whole lot of other stuff mm. anyway. And then having to deal with that. You were looking for new accommodation with a relative. Mm. That was So that was a complicated process mm. with that particular relative. Mm. And then on top of that, looking for the accommodation was complicated. Mm. And you depended on that relative to drive you to the places, to turn up, mm. to make commitments. Mm. Just that sense of, I guess, begging. I felt very needy. I was angry a lot. Yeah. But I felt very needy and very... All my independence, if I had any, was taken away. Practically speaking, planning all my days then just was dependent on what time do I have to be at the station? What time do I have to catch this bus? Instead of driving 20 minutes to an appointment, it turns into like an hour and a half fiasco. Yeah. And that's if it all goes to plan, if I don't miss the train or if they don't replace trains with buses and then have to leave my bike. So When you had your bike stolen, mm. was that locked somewhere? Was that actually yeah. fixed and you had a, a locker? Yeah. You, you had a chain and everything on there? Yeah, I had, actually had two locks on it and it was against the chain wire fence at the Petrie train station. You reported that to the police? Correct. Yeah. And how did you find the police in how they dealt with you? The initial attitude was one of, it's probably not going to get found. Yeah. And then about two weeks later, I got a phone call from an officer and they said, we've found your bike. It's at, you know, such and such station. And I said, that's great, you know. And they said, oh, it'll be available for you to pick up soon. We'll let you know. And then about 12 weeks went by and I had other things and I didn't really think about my bike. And they called me and said, yep, your bike's here. We'll just send a photo to confirm it's your bike and it wasn't my bike so okay. I thought I had my bike back to me yeah but it didn't happen that way yeah. I did go on marketplace one time yeah I was looking at the bikes I was thinking mm. oh you know if somebody wants to buy a bike how much are they mm. and I must say I thought how many stolen bikes is this yeah so I thought how could you actually verify if you're buying on marketplace yeah you've no idea there's no idea it's a dodge business I, I guess people have desperate means if that's the only way they can earn an income is yeah. by stealing bikes yeah and then doing that and that's their only source of income yeah you know, I I think people, if they can, generally they want to abide by the law, but desperate people do desperate things. 100%, yeah. To get past that anger, and I just felt really frustrated by everything, I suppose, and it was a kick in the guts. To get over that, I thought, well, maybe this is someone who really needed to get to a job interview or really needed to get, you know, to see his sick mum or whatever. 
rather than one who just wanted to steal a bike to sell it. That's how I have to put it in my head, move past the anger. So you were staying with people and uh, your friends started actually shuttling you around a little bit and yeah. helping. Yeah. But there was a time when things weren't happening with this relative to sort out the accommodation mm. and then things just came to an end and it sort of broke the friendship because it's mm. like they expected you to move on because this relative should be doing something mm. and nothing was happening and then you were like well where can I live yeah and you stayed here for a while I yeah. think you stayed here and then you went away and then came back and yeah few different times then you didn't have transport when you were here mm -hmm. either mm -hmm. you ended up having to buy a car yes now had to borrow money yeah to buy a car so you had to borrow money from a different relative to do that what sorts of income did you have at the time before you bought the car just a job seeker which is the right. Centrelink payment I had a mental health certificate but yeah I was living on a really not insignificant, but a pretty tight income, tight budget. Yeah. And if you hadn't had this relative uh, basically give you the money. Yeah, I don't know what I would have done. Because I remember being unemployed a few years ago mm. and I had interactions with Centrelink mm. and they said, Do you have a car? And I said, No, I don't. And they said, Well, why not? Why aren't you going to get a car? <laughs> you know, we're talking Centrelink money. That already is so far below the poverty yeah. line. Yeah. So, Job Seeker, it was very, very punitive. Mm. You had to do what they said mm. and then they would cut you off and they wouldn't explain and it was this constant sense of anxiety about yes. whether you'd get any money and it was so distressing and then if you've got mental health issues you're already extremely distressed about lack of contact with your children mm. and you're staying with friends and you've got no transport mm. and know. it actually I mean the fact that I didn't have a car was standing in the way of me spending more time with my children potentially so yeah. I was told at one point that I would need a car if I wanted to see my children you did get a car mm. and then you started doing this what would you delivery call delivery driving de yeah the food delivery driving where mm. you go to the fast food outlet or a restaurant or something and then you drop it to a customer there's yes. a few companies that are particularly well known for that yeah. that's what you did in order to get a bit of an income yeah so that started to ease things substantially yeah and then I think you also had appointments like on the other side of Brisbane for, to work on some of the mental health stuff that's correct yeah down in Indrapilly and it was a day program so I sort of attended there quite frequently about four times a week but there was a time there where I had my brother's car temporarily I'm not a bad driver but it was a manual car and it's so hilly around that area that I ended up putting a few dings just trying to park okay so that was stressful enough and then I had to try and get buses and trains there and it just I've missed so many appointments because I underestimated how long it would take me from one suburb to another so many I I remember one time very recently I was in Brisbane hmm. in Maruka hmm. and it said go to bus stop number I don't know six five one whatever it was hmm. and it said the bus will come here and so I, I found the bus stop and I thought oh that's very strange that it's on the same side that I arrived on mm. oh, oh but clearly this is bus stop number 651 so this is the one I go so I saw the bus come on the opposite side and it turns out that the bus stop number is the same number on both sides of the street which is the most idiotic stupid mm. kind of numbering system you've ever come across this is designed by people who do not do use not the use system the service, yeah. and I think that so much of the transportation stuff is mm. designed by people 
people, the decision makers, they're all executives, they probably get a company car, or they live in areas where there is public transport, maybe they get a train, and they know the area, they come from Brisbane, whatever, but they're not out here in the in the boondocks where it's really hard, you know, yeah. just... I'd love to plot them in a different city and just say, see you later, see how you go make this appointment, this appointment, this appointment, that's it. That's all the information we'll give you because navigating the train systems and the bus systems, you do actually have to speak that language because like you said, the bus stops have the same number on both sides. Well, maybe there's some subtlety which decides no. which one is no. which, not at no. all. No, I, I came from New South Wales and the bus stop numbers are according to, so you have your postcode. Yeah. So we're here in Caboolture, so it'd be 4510. Okay. And then on one side, it might be 26 and on the other one, one, it might be 27 yeah. and you go okay well that makes sense okay. so you can see oh I'm I'm at the correct so that's uh, what I was and expecting as like a very I mean you you know how to navigate public transport if anyone does yeah that would be really frustrating for yeah you. exactly yeah. I mean it's completely stupid that yeah, sort of it stuff is stupid. and and it's these small little things that make it difficult and also at where's the university is it Petrie there is a University of Sunshine Coast. Well, that's yeah. it's Petrie. If you notice at, at Petrie Station, they've got the panel at the bottom, and yeah. it tells you what train, yes. what train, what platform. Yeah. And then you go up to the bridge, mm. the concourse, mm. and there's no signage on there. No. And and then you've got to get down the bottom. Yeah. And then sometimes they change the platform. They do. Because of the trains. Oh no, that's not going to be on platform two. It's going to be on platform three. So yeah. it's like, well, which platform am I on? Mm. Okay, so that's there. I and missed then... a train once because of that, and because there were lots of people around with bikes, and there's a few people in wheelchairs, so we couldn't all fit. Yeah. In the elevator to take yeah. us to the other platform, and the train came and went. Yeah. And they come yeah. every half hour. Yeah. At at best half hour. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you miss one yeah. and you're, you're stuffed. It means you've missed that appointment and then you'll probably miss the next one as a flow on from that. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I'm really interested in this idea of is it efficient or is it effective? And we talk about mm. efficiency as being very lean, we save all our money, we don't spend anything. But actually you end up with an anorexic system where it's not effective. You're not actually able to support the system. And I figured out that road building and maintenance costs about $30 billion a year. And then the public health consequences of all those roads, obesity, respiratory disease, diabetes, all that, Mm. and also collisions, noise pollution, light pollution, Mm. all of that stuff. So I haven't even included all the costs that come with having a car, Mm. because it actually goes up from there. All that is probably about $300 billion a year for Australia. And you think, wow, so how much is a bus service? How much does a bus service cost? you would reduce social isolation in a snap if you had a bus service that went every 10 minutes. And they say they can't afford it, and yet they build all these roads, they build all this infrastructure, all this public land. And lots of car parks. And lots of car parks. Mm. And parking is a whole thing. (laughs) Don't get me started on minimum parking mandates, you know. <laughs> because that is such bad public policy. That is, yeah, in the US they're actually stopping them all now, mm. but here in Morton Bay we've just doubled ours. Mm. <laughs> it's like so stupid. And can I just say, like, I, I was, you know, I'm talking about what I went through just as, as me. Imagine if I had my children behind me as well, like trying to, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine trying to navigate this system that just doesn't yeah. work for. 
I don't think for anyone really maybe those who do that same train trip every single day have their go-cards blah 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 but for the average you and me it's just not effective it's not effective so one of the things that they've really looked at and I guess this is the blue lens Mm. I got a letter once from the transport and main roads active transport team which was completely bizarre and it said yes but for people and workers I'm going well and I replied back and I said, I don't know about you, whether you're a person mm. or whether you're a worker, but in my mind, all workers are actually people. What is that strange thing? That's code for male travellers mm. who are the workers. Mm. The way that men's transport needs are, you know, I start from home, I go to the station or the bus or whatever, mm. I go into my office job, I have a permanent job more likely, I'm on a salary, I finish my day and I come home, might stop off at the gym, might stop off maybe to get a pint of milk or something on the way back. I was thinking a pint of beer. Meet with a mate in a club, whatever. And that's basically the end of most men's transport needs. Correct. Now, for women's transport needs, Mm. you might have a part-time job. Mm. You've got a couple of kids. You've got to get daycare. Soon the kids will be starting school. So you might want to get them to school. And it used to be that people rode to school or walked to school. And even though most kids live really close to school, they just get driven. Yes. Hardly anybody actually still walk and cycle. Well, you know, from a parent's perspective, it's a safety issue for their children to be riding bicycles around. So instead they chuck them in the car and get on the road and go and line up with all those other cars. Cars have accidents all the time. I'm sure, I don't know the statistics. Okay, so here's the trigger warning bit. goes for about 30 seconds. I'll put another bit at the other end to say trigger warning finish, but it's about 30 seconds. You probably do. Yeah, three people are killed a day in car collisions. Yeah. And this yeah. is pretty awful. Three people a week run over their own child oh. in their own driveway with their own car in Queensland. You're no. kidding. No. That's atrocious. Because kids, they run behind it. And I mean, I can't imagine the psychological hell, Mm. like that would completely destroy a family. Mm. But this is one of the side effects of having a car. Mm. Okay, so that's the end of the trigger warning section. There's no more references or referring to any collisions from here to the end of the episode. And making everybody be car dependent. You don't need that. We didn't always have cars. It's Mm. very recent. Mm. And then you've got relatives. So, you know, you might need to attend to an elderly relative. You probably have the bulk of the shopping, Mm. the running around. And there's all these things that women do and it's called mental load which is where okay little jessica's got a birthday party next week so i've got to make sure that i've got a birthday present for little jessica's friend and then i've got to get that so i've got to go down to the shops and these little things they're just oh, i've got to get that and i've got to get that and i've got to get this this is the mental load that women carry yes So that's why their transport trips are quite different. So we've sort of digressed on a number Mm. of different ways. Anything else you would like to add in about your time at Joiner, having to move around, going to mental health appointments on the other side of Brisbane, Mm. having to rely on transport. So what else would you like to say about your experience during that time? Mm. It's very eye-opening. It's um, very degrading. Yeah. Relying on public transport. Yeah. People assume you have a car until you tell them otherwise. 
So even job opportunities, meetings, appointments, they will tell you there's plenty of parking. And I gave up trying to tell them that I didn't have a car and I would just be parking my bike. So don't underestimate how it makes people feel. And when you're already feeling like you're getting nowhere and when you already feel stuck, all it can take is a missed train to really just push you over the edge and like completely ruin your day. So oh, it might be possible, but it's not likely that people will actually start to use the systems that they're designing because they're not me and they're not a mother with kids and they're not someone whose life has fallen apart. Those people will never be or will very rarely be policy makers or have any influence over what's happening on the roads, the footpaths and stuff. So yeah. I respect you greatly for trying to make a difference because it is about the trying to make a difference as well because yeah. something has to change. Yeah just keep fighting I suppose. And so you're quite a creative thinker and you've had that experience so what are some small kind of even maybe quirky ideas simple Mm. ideas I mean to me numbering the bus stops on different sides of the streets that's like yes okay you'd have to reconfigure the computers Mm. I mean even if it was A and B and A B C D you know whatever that certainly would make a difference. Are there any ideas small little things that you think might be useful for so if somebody's in policy and they're deciding this is how the trains and the buses Mm. should work what I quirky ideas small ideas Mm. I mean I think signage at the train station on the concourse yes you can see where you've got to go yes I'd love to see a a bit of creativity in the way that encourage people who are within walking distance to their school or riding a bike just encourage them to do that I know my sons love picking flowers Uh, I can only imagine if there was a road on the way to a school and instead of grass or street trees there were flowers or even fruit or something like that to encourage that walk between home and school or riding their bike whatever's depending on the footpath obviously so what they did in england during the pandemic mm. you know some people were bored and they just put a whole lot of seeds by the side and they got the flowers oh, and they awesome. attended to the garden yeah. and then what happened is all the cars all the cars were driving more slowly because yeah. people were looking and curious and wondering what was here yeah. so it was a very easy low cost way for people naturally mm. to choose to drive more slowly because it was a more interesting place so that's what you're describing and it's you know it's like it's a curb so what's the point of just having it i mean i'm not telling you because you've got sunflowers on your curb but what's the point of just having it grass what's the point there's no beauty in that yeah so i mean that's just a little thing that i would i would it would get me walking the kids to school if it was possible yeah for sure and then also the fact that you're outside there's green there's you're getting fresh air and you're physically moving so your day is automatically going to be better if you walk somewhere as a positive as a bonus you um, start your day in a nice way there's a guy around here so mm. i cycle everywhere mm. i have just a big cargo e-bike yes and there's a guy around and we just because there aren't that many cyclists i can see them off in the distance and i know them and it's just like hi yeah. bill <laughs> yeah. every day i see him or every second day or something mm. and there is something about those small interactions mm that just make me feel like I'm part of the community, so Mm. that sense of feeling isolated. Anything else you would like to add? So we had this idea, the first week you should travel everywhere by wheelchair and all your transport needs every time. So you can't just 
nip outside and get a coffee as an able-bodied person you have to do that in a wheelchair Mm. like you could do half a day every year Mm. as part of your continuing professional development it's called something like that I think would be pretty I think so that would make a huge difference because I think the problem isn't they've got the theory they've got the policies Mm. they just don't put them into place and I think it's because they don't have the lived experience that's that's exactly right they don't actually know what it feels like yeah. to to depend on a system which is a little bit so-so. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a lot of room for improvement. Lots. Yeah. The way I call, uh, the way I say it is here in Caboolture, there is only opportunity. Yeah, okay, I love it. You flip that around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of opportunities. It's, there is nothing to lose because we ain't got anything. All you can see is opportunities. The only thing about Caboolture that, that is better, so in Toowoomba, they don't yeah. even have a train service between the Toowoomba and Brisbane. So it's $75 on a Greyhound bus. Oh my goodness. Like each way. Oh my goodness. I don't understand why you couldn't put in a shuttle bus service between Toowoomba and say Ipswich. That would make a huge difference. It would. It seriously would. People would use it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I reckon there's some contract between the bus companies and the TMR. So I think looking at these contractual obligations Mm. that have been put in place to favour companies Mm. and not the community, I really think that's something big big to look at yeah all right i think we'll call that a day what do you reckon yeah awesome all right fantastic thanks so much for coming on thanks for talking with me wendy no problem always a joy thanks for enjoying streets and people presented by get around cabo car free we publish our podcast regularly at the usual places and on our website where you can find out more about us getaroundcabocarfree.com.au that's www.get a-R-O-U-N-D, get around, that's pretty straightforward. Cabo, C-A-B-O, that's short for Caboolture. Car Free, C-A-R-F-R-E-E, there's no hyphen in that, .com.au. Our theme music is The Thief on AM Sound, which is just like our cars on our streets, always stealing the space. So let's stop that thief. Thief.